everyone, and welcome to yet another compelling episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I say compelling because, you know what, I can put whatever adjective I want in there. Maybe you would put terrible. Maybe I would put awesome, interesting, engaging, insightful. I could keep going, but I won't. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and the guest this week is Mr. Steve Moore. So Steve Moore is a soundtrack composer, and he also plays in a band called Zombie, Z-O-M-B-I, and that is where I first discovered him. I was extremely excited that he was interested in doing this this interview, just because uh, I respect his music greatly, and uh, you know, honestly, I think he's kind of a little under the radar for most independent music listeners, and I want to change that. I want you to be familiar with his stuff, so more on him. Let's get some some stuff out of the way that, uh, from a business perspective, I want to let you in on and whatever else, so... First of all, visit the show's website, 100 Words Podcast. And last episode, I put out a call for people interested in working alongside of me in regards to uh, new shows, new endeavors. So if you, you the listener, have some sort of audio editing experience from you know Pro Tools, GarageBand, that sort of stuff, I would love to hear from you. A few people have reached out and I'm kind of you know talking to them, seeing what's up. So if you have experience in that, please email me, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Now, to be clear, this isn't talking about producing or editing this particular show. Tom Richfield is locked into that role until basically he keels over and passes this mortal coil. He will be attached to this show. So this is for future, interesting, exciting, engaging things that I uh, am hopefully going to be launching soon. So I would love to work with more creative and talented people because, you know, I mean, I'm okay at editing, but I know that that is not my strong suit. So I would rather work with a person who's uh, pretty killer at it. So anyways, I'm tired. (laughs) I've been running around like a mad person because uh, I got signed up for jury duty and secretly I've always been really, really interested in being on a jury and I am. I'm currently, as you listen to this, more likely than not, if you're listening to it on the release date or a few release or a few days after we put this show out, I'm on a trial. I'm sitting there with 11 other jurors. I am talking about a case. And of course, I cannot divulge any information on that case because that would, um, you know, compromise me as a juror or whatever. But to say it is interesting and exciting is an understatement. It's awesome. I know a lot of people look at jury duty and are just like, oh my gosh, this is like the worst thing ever. I have to wait around. It's inconvenient. I have to, uh, you know, take the day off work or whatever. It's created a lot of stress for me in regards to trying to balance my own day job versus what's happening with the podcast and then also what's happening in this jury duty case. Um, But I wouldn't trade it at all. It is awesome. It is so interesting to see people work. And I say, you know, the defense lawyers, the state's prosecutor, like it's just so engaging to watch people work and craft a narrative and lead people down certain roads and stories to tell. And I just, I love it. Like, honestly, I had like one day off this week and I I was bummed at that. (laughs) I wanted to be in the courtroom. So I could definitely see where uh, experiencing it once is kind of like, oh yeah, I I would do that again. And, uh, I'm really, really interested to see what the jury deliberation room is going to be like, because I think that is going to probably be the most, I wouldn't say excruciating, but maybe difficult part to get 12 people to agree on one thing. That is not an easy thing. So anyways, I just wanted to let you in on that. And um, 
yeah, October will be another theme month. I will release that information right now. I will not tell you the theme, but basically all the guests are tied together in some capacity. Um, and you'll, you'll understand the, the framework in which I'm speaking to them. So, and we have some amazing shows coming up in, in September. Um, it's cool because I basically, I feel the show is in a flow right now where I am able to speak to people who might be a little left of center of what you may expect, you know, um, and I love that. I love the fact that you are engaging with it. Like the feedback I got from a few episodes ago from the Alex Goldman from Reply All podcast, the feedback I got from that show is incredible. And this is a person who isn't necessarily like playing in bands, you know, doing record labels, all that sort of stuff. But he still applies the principles that he learned from the independent music scene and uh, into his day-to-day life. And it's awesome. So I really appreciate that you, the listener, are listening to every episode. That is extremely important to me because you'll start to see the narrative that is created with all of these people and all of their experiences. And basically, this is a long-winded way of me saying thank you very much for letting me introduce you to people, ideas, music, all these other things that you might not have necessarily been exposed to. I'm not saying that I'm the arbiter of good taste, but all I'm doing is exposing you to stuff that I've tripped across that I feel is compelling in some capacity, which brings me to Steve Moore. Like I said, he might be off the beaten path for most people who are, you know, listening to whatever punk or hardcore, but this guy is is steeped in it. You know, he's played in bands for years. And like I said, I got exposed to him via his band Zombie, who has put out a lot of records on Relapse, who is a notorious metal label, but also does a lot of creative releases in regards to the stuff that they put out. They don't just stick to one strain, so to speak. And so basically, once I started to get just obsessed with horror movies and zombie movies and all that ilk. Probably when I was about, I don't know, 15, 16, that's when I really took a deep dive into it. Um, like doing research, buying books. Um, and then in my later teens, early twenties, I just became obsessed with it. Like VHS tape trading, even when DVDs were readily available. Um, I got really, really nerdy about it. And then I started to get into the soundtracks of these things. So Steve Moore and his band, Zombie, were basically creating uh, soundtracks to a movie that didn't exist. But they were using real live instruments and then performing and touring. And so I got to see Zombie play more than once. And it was such an awesome experience because, uh, you know, it's basically watching these dudes create these soundscapes, a horror movie that is in your head. And Steve has gone on to be very prolific and hardworking in the soundtrack composition standpoint as well. There's an incredible movie called The Guest, who if at any point when you're listening to this, just press pause, hop into Netflix, watch the movie. The movie's incredible, and Steve scored that movie. It's since come out on vinyl through the beautiful people over at Death Waltz slash Mondo. Yeah, just great stuff. Steve is an awesome guy, and this conversation definitely shows you that. And we went to a lot of interesting places. Steve was definitely... Um, I guess very reflective when I was speaking to him and uh, he definitely shares a lot of things that I think were, uh, you know, most people can, can find relevance to. So without further ado, here's my discussion with Steve and I will talk to you after we are done. Basically when Zombie first put out you guys' first EP on, on Relapse, Cosmos, it was, I was immediately like, yo, what's, what's this? Like, this is really good. And I was excited because obviously uh, my love for soundtracks in general existed, but I didn't know that I would ever be able to see a band 
in the context of independent music, be able to kind of like play it live, you know? Most of my friends were really perplexed by me being like so overly into <laughs> your band. They were just like, dude, really? Yeah, like I can, this? I can, uh, I see that. I can. Right. I can relate to that. I, we we had that a lot too. Sure. Because I mean, it's like, you know, uh, I'm coming from the context of a, you know, a punk and hardcore kid. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh dude, I'm super into this like atmospheric horror movie-esque soundtrack. Is it one of those things where you, uh, maybe you can reflect on that time or even currently sure. now where the, are you surprised like when you see, I guess, younger kids that are into your band and kind of, you know, what zombie is doing in general? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I think, I think it really kind of still shocks me that anybody cares at all, really. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, we kind of, uh, you know, very intentionally found a very dark and dusty corner of, uh, of, of the music world to inhabit. And the, the fact that we're not alone there anymore is a, is a little, little off-putting. Right. How did the partnership with Relapse first exist? Like, did they just randomly, uh, contact you and, uh, it kind of just kind of sprung, sprung out from there? No, I, I contacted them actually. I, um, because I was really into at the time and, and still, uh, I really like, uh, I liked a lot of the, uh, the release, uh, things that they put out. They relapse used to have the, like a sub label called release where they, uh, dedicated more towards like dark ambient type of stuff, sort of like, like they put out like, uh, like, uh, Vidna, Obman, Obmana, stuff like that. Um, Mer did Merzbo release some stuff on there as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, and it was it was uh, you know focused on this, this sort of dark new age kind of sound, uh, and we really just had no idea who to who to turn to. Uh, you know, we 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 kind of uh, you know when we first started playing, we we just play shows at the you know in the, the various Pittsburgh uh, you know punk spaces and and whatever the reaction we got you know just sort of told us that this is that this could be bigger than this so we should you know we should try to find an actual label an established label to put this out um, also we're just not very savvy in that sense like I don't think either of us had the the initiative to like press a bunch of albums and. You know, we did we did self-release a couple a couple uh, a couple things before relapse, but they were like you know seriously limited to like fifty copies. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, we wanted to hand it over to 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 an established label that would you know maybe know what to do with us, but we just had no idea who you know. So I I contacted any anybody I had been in touch with, anybody that I knew that I thought might be a good fit uh but i sent i sent relapse a demo thinking that it would be maybe something interesting for their sub label re release and technically cosmos is a, a split release between relapse and release so they uh but the, i think we might have been one of the last albums that they put out on the sub label and then that they closed that up um basically because I, I think the way they were thinking was there's really no need to keep that stuff separate anymore because it was big enough at that point enough people were buying those records um, but they really kind of just jumped on it. you know they were they were really into it they they saw that um that our music would would be compatible uh, to their the people that you know they have a very loyal fan base there are people that just buy the albums that relapse puts out yeah no for sure there's definitely that um you know, without putting it in too much in marketing terms, like that brand allegiance where it's like people obviously trust the, the stamp of approval that they give bands. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, that obviously benefited you guys because people were willing to walk down that path of like, well, I don't know if I necessarily be into this, but 
if it if it came out on a relapse, like of course I'll give it the time of day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and that's the type of the type of labels that we were approaching. Where, like, you know, I had I had been uh, speaking to uh, uh, Greg at uh, Ipecac Records, mm-hmm. you know, which is another one of those types of uh, labels that uh, you know, sort of a they they put out whatever they want and whatever they put out, their their people eat it up. Right. And that's kind of that's kind of what what we were hoping for, you know, because uh, how do you market? I mean, now I guess it's different now. I, 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 I'm, I'm still kind of looking at things from the, uh, you know, the 2002 perspective. But now, you know, I think it's a, it'd be a lot e- it's a lot easier. There's there's a market for that kind of stuff. But back then it was sort of like you just kind of had to hope that people were open minded enough to to give it a shot, to give it a chance, you know. Yeah. No, no. I th- this is something I was going to address a little bit later, but it's appropriate since I think you bring it up where it was one of those things where like another thing that attracted me to you guys was uh, the fact that, you know, you essentially toured like a punk and hardcore band because the, yeah. I mean, not only was that, uh, I presume, kind of the scene that you came from, like you said, playing, you know, I'm sure the Mr. Roboto Project in Pittsburgh and oh, yeah. all, the, all those other punks. Five shows were at R- Roboto Project. <laughs> cool. And the uh, bands that we were in before Zombie were were pretty much regulars. Uh, Roboto Project, uh, the various Manny Thiner uh, venues like the Millvale Industrial Theater, the Garfield Artworks. You know that was that was the scene that we were that 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 we're, we were very much part of when we were when we were just starting out. Right, and I think that even though, like you said, you're reflecting on this time where it would obviously be easier for Zombie to be you know birthed into the world from a release perspective, but I still think that the context in which you were touring would still be completely foreign, you know, like, cause it doesn't, it, I mean, to this day, I can't really point to a band that did what you guys did where it was like, you took the, you know, like I said, the ethics of what you would do in the punk and hardcore world and applied it to something sonically different, but you still applied the same touring principles to it, to where it was. Uh, yeah. I just thought it was so inherently unique because of that. Yeah, that, and and I think maybe that's a, an aspect of zombie that people don't that people who are just finding out about us now don't really don't really get they they missed out on that the fact that you know we used to do close to two hundred shows a year and when we'd play we'd we'd haul out you know two six ten cabinets with eighteen hundred watt power amps that we'd that we'd you know we'd run our keyboard through those. And then I, and then I had a, a sun Coliseum and a, a big bass cabinet, you know, it was, it was loud and it was aggressive live, you know, it, it didn't, whatever it ended up sounding like on the record, if you were to come out and see us live, it would, it would be a different experience. It would be much more like uh, a, a rock band coming from this sort of like punk or no wave or post rock kind of, kind of place, just sort of, you know, drawing from a different set of influences. Right, right. No, there's definitely there's definitely no subtlety in like, regards to what you were doing a lot. And we didn't listen to Gorilla Biscuits, but that doesn't mean that we didn't that we didn't that we weren't that we didn't feel some some kinship to that to that type of scene, you know. Right, right. You know, um, and in the nineties I went you know, I, I went to hardcore shows, you know, I was I was real big into that type of thing. Sure. You know, I we we you know, growing up in Pittsburgh we didn't we didn't quite get as many of the shows there, but we'd drive to to Lancaster to see, you know, Earth Crisis and Integrity and, you know, or, or Akron, you know, the, the various different Rust Belt cities that that these bands really thrived in. 
Yeah, I mean that 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 will segue perfectly into you. You were born and raised in Pittsburgh, and that's kind of where you 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 cut your teeth yeah. as far as like getting exposed to you know bands and music in general. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, family structure like? Uh, brothers and sisters, and like mom and dad in the house? Yeah, yeah. We uh, my parents are still together. I have a sister who's um, six years younger than me. Uh, we I grew up. I actually I actually grew up in Monroeville, which is where they filmed Dawn of the Dead. Um, and that was like the mall where they shot that movie was where I'd go on the weekends to hang out. And then, you know, in high school, I'd, I'd you know, get jobs at the different sh- stores and work there. And, you know, that, that was uh, it, it was a, it was a very normal childhood, aside from the fact that I was sort of obsessed with these horror movies. But in Pittsburgh, that's part of the culture. That's that's uh, that's a, a, a huge point of pride in, uh, in in the city. Right? No, it's true. It's, it's kind of it's it was hard growing up in the in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. It was hard. It was hard not to be somehow influenced by that stuff. The many years I toured with my bands, one time forcing the rest of the guys in the band to be like, "Dude, we got to go to Monroeville," <laughs> and they were like, "You're such a nerd." I'm like, "Dude, but it's the mall," and so yeah, I, I can I can understand the uh, uh, how weird it must be where it's like, "Oh wow, that that seminal movie was filmed at the you know the mall where I I worked in the food court or whatever." Yeah, and and to drive you know to just to to drive to my grandmother's house from from where I lived, you had to go past the airport that they shot the uh you know the the helicopter uh, decapitation scene that you, you drove past all like the houses that they used for the outdoor scenes when like the, the there's like a, a a pretty a pretty fun scene where there's like sort of a bunch of like uh you know they're flying the helicopter over and they, i think there's they're it's supposed to be uh johnstown or philadelphia and they make a, a joke about those rednecks down there probably loving this uh and then there's a little scene where the you know a bunch of guys in flannels and they're they're drinking beer and there's a bonfire and they're kind of using the zombies in the distance as target practice and you know really actually having a good time with the whole thing. But that was that was my neighborhood. You know? Right. Uh, so what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you were you know getting into high school and kind of developing your own identity? Because I, I presume that a lot of people, especially with you know what you're doing now and kind of the uh, the solitary nature of. <laughs> music composition from yeah. a, a score perspective, I imagine most people will be like, oh yeah, you're that loner kid that hangs out in the corner. Um, did you find yourself being that like in high school or was that just completely uh, a, 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 uh, an image that's thrust upon you at this point? No, I mean, I, 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 I would say that I was, um, you know, through junior high, probably the beginning of high school uh, until um, I'd been pl- I, I started I'd been like very musical uh, since I was, a, a you know, a really young kid. My dad had like an old Krumar synthesizer that I would play around with when I was, you know, really young, uh, like basically as soon as I as soon as I could stand and, and pluck notes out on a keyboard. I didn't I didn't really fully uh, submit to music until uh, until high school. I started playing uh, bass guitar in, I guess, 10th grade. Um, and then from there, it was like, OK, now I, I play bass guitar. I want to be in a band. And and then that's how I met people. And, you know, honestly, from that point on, every friendship in my life is a, is a result a direct result of my involvement in music it just it just took over my life and and then there was there was this vast network of people who who were now suddenly interested in me and it was uh it it, it changed everything you know it showed me that this this is this is my place this is this is what i i i should be doing 
Right. Like this is your, you, you found a community that was obviously accepting of, of whatever weird stuff you were into. Yeah. I mean, I weighed about 90 pounds, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and I was, I was just not athletic. Uh, I, I, I was shy. Uh, there, there was just no other option for me than right. me. <laughs> I like I like how you put that. Like, well, this is this is kind of the last resort, so I'll just go ahead and plug into this and see if this yeah. works. Oh, it works. Yeah. Well, and the, I don't know something. The, the bass guitar. Like, I I played uh, I you know played saxophone in the band you know since like fourth grade. Uh, but it was hard, and it didn't make sense to me really. But the bass guitar somehow I just it was there was a there was a connection there. I picked it up, and I just kind of knew what to do with it. Um, and I would just devote hours and hours every every night. It was natural. It was. It, I just knew what to do with it, and I and I and it was what I wanted to be doing. You know, more than anything, basically. Right. And I think it's. I mean, I'm sure you can identify as as a parent now. Like I, I also have a I have a four year old kid, and I think it's one of those things in other conversations I've had with parents where the thing that you're most concerned about is your kid finding something that they're passionate about, you know? And I'm sure your parents, like once they saw how you took to base, they were, you know, I'm sure in some respects they're like, Oh, Steve finally found something like this is, or, or was it the opposite where they're like, Oh, I don't know about bass guitar, Steve. Yeah. I think it might be more of the second. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was, you know, it was, um, it's hard. It's, I, I, now I know that it, it's difficult to, uh, you don't know what you're, you know, the, the, you can only you can only put so much into your your children before they actually start becoming their own little person. And I I guess I don't know that that's. Uh, I think my parents wanted me to be a cartoonist because I like to draw a lot when I was a kid. Um, Interesting. And I, the type of music that I was into in high school when when I started learning how to play bass was probably not the the path that I think my parents would have wanted to see me go down uh, right and so, it probably only got worse and worse uh basically until uh tony and i started playing together as zombie they they've they've been uh, big supporters of zombie from the beginning but i think it's safe to say that they they probably hated every other band i was in right right yeah i could see well especially like you said if if there is that trade-off where you did something that they understood in regards to yeah. you know drawing and cartooning and they're like oh yeah that makes sense like you can yeah. make a living off of that but then sure. the moment that you pick up a bass guitar that's when it's like wait that's your no we can't we can't encourage that so, so what yeah, were i mean they, they didn't discourage it but right. but they were uh you know it was it was probably pretty tough for them to see uh to you know, who it was, it was maybe, uh, it probably looked like things are pretty up in the air <laughs> sure. you know, as far as where I'm going to come out with, where I'm going to come out of this. In, in reflection to your, your, your cartooning and drawing, like what were you, uh, was this something that you just kind of, you know, doodled and like you bought books from the local bookstore and how to draw people? Or was this something that just kind of, uh, you know, came inherently and naturally? Uh, yeah, it, it was, it was more sort of a natural thing. I, I would, I would just draw what I what I uh, see, you know. Like I, I was real, I was I was a huge fan of uh, Calvin and Hobbes, and uh, you know, Bill Watterson. I thought was was just like a, a genius. Not not just as far as the uh, the cartooning goes, but he he just such a smart guy and so interesting. Uh, and I I sort of wanted to be him for a little while. Um, but I, I'm colorblind, which makes things a little difficult uh, as far as the arts go. Right. That's a that's a little roadblock. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, and it, it 
in the end, it proved to be a little bit too much. But uh, you can you can play bass uh, and not have any eyes at all. Right, right. Um, what did your parents do uh, for a living as you were growing up? My mom was home with us until uh, until I was well, I guess until you know my until my younger sister was in school, and then uh, she was an X-ray tech. Um, my dad was a steel worker. Oh, that's completely so, appropriate for Pittsburgh. Pretty solid Pittsburgh upbringing, you know. Right, right. Definitely uh, working with your hands, learning a trade. Workers, hospitals. That's Pittsburgh. Right, right. And so then, uh, like like you said, I, after you picked up the bass guitar and you started to find this this community, was it one of those things that you were uh, you were kind of transitioning out of? Because I know you've mentioned in previous interviews, like you know Van Halen was a huge influence. So, so were you transitioning from kind of the you know grand? large rock bands to kind of the, like you said, the sort of more punk and hardcore world? Or what did you gravitate towards when you first started to get introduced to the uh, independent side of things? Well, I, I kind of found that stuff through, well, you know what? I it, I was kind of, you know, in Pittsburgh, we were, we were kind of lucky. I think, honestly, my introduction to the independent, the world of independent rock was Don Caballero, who was, you know, from Pittsburgh and very popular. And even in high school, I had a lot of friends who were into them. Uh, and, and they were very musical, uh, very technical, but still very heavy. And at the time I was really into, uh, I started high school in, uh, in the, I guess it was, uh, 1989. So, which was like kind of the golden age of, uh, that was like right around the time when all the big thrash bands were peaking and putting out like the, the last, records before they started to you know really suck <laughs> sure. and and so i was i was really into metal i was really into that kind of thing and don caballero was a nice they were a nice uh bridge to the to the indie rock world because they were still very heavy and uh, and aggressive but with with a, a real sort of you know artsy aesthetic to it like that that so you, you would say don caliballero would be a nice transition band for you to be able to get introduced to more uh, artistic yeah. <laughs> the more artistic side of the independent world more artistic and uh yeah and and just like that through that that that's when i developed an interest in finding bands that people didn't know about uh that was that that became part of the charm you know <laughs> right well, no, that's I, I, I'm really glad that you put it that way, because there definitely is that um, that sense of finding your own band. You know, it's like you find a band that you introduce your friends to and they're like, whoa, what is this? And like you wear that as kind of a badge of pride where it's like, yo, I, I did the work on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember like it was, you know, in high school, that was uh, that was when Nirvana blew up. And I remember a lot of my friends who were, uh, just a little bit older than me. They, uh, Nirvana played a show in Pittsburgh, a, a legendary show, like right before Nevermind came out. And, but it was 18 plus and I wasn't old enough to go yet, but a lot I had friends that were old enough for that could get in. And for about three or four months, uh, that was all I heard about was this Nirvana show until, uh, you know, until Smells Like Teen Spirit was on the radio every second of every day. And then, of course, everybody's just like, pretend that never happened. Uh, move on. Yeah, uh, Slint. That's who I like. Um, you know, just kind of moved in the, in the opposite direction. I think that's a really important point because I definitely think they're, by nature, they're like, as a teenager, you're always kind of contrarian, you know? You're always mm -hmm. trying to zig when people are zagging just because you obviously are trying to carve your own lane. Um but I'm, well, I'm yeah, and this, this was a thing that like now kids kids aren't going to understand this now, 
but I remember the year that the football players started dyeing their hair and, you know, dressing like, like, you know, my friends dressed. And it was, it was heartbreaking. You know, those, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not like us. It, it was, it was a little, it was rough. It was a tough time to be a, to be a teenager looking for that thing, trying to find that thing to connect when you finally find it. And then everyone else in the world is co-opting it and taking it from you and, it, and it's lost its meaning. So then you just have to look deeper. You have to, you have to dig deeper. Right. It's true. It, it kind of becomes that sort of scavenger yeah. hunt for how yeah. weird you can like, how weird your interests can get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, that's, I mean, I, I definitely identify with that in the same fashion that I'm sure you probably started to dive even deeper into kind of, you know, films and the horror world and sort of the, uh, uh, that stuff I was already into. I've been in, I've been a, a, I've been obsessed with John Carpenter since I was eight years old. And I first, you know, saw Halloween ever since then, you know, I bought the cassettes. I, I had CDs. It's, it's weird talking with people now about my love of, 80s synth rock and uh you know van halen and john carpenter because for me there's never been this sort of rediscovery of that stuff i have i have been fascinated and and interested and fully into it ever since i know i never stopped being into it it's just uh everything kind of uh you know I, I, i'm not sure where i'm going with this it's just always been a part of of who i am uh so to to see people who are just discovering this stuff. Like I, it's hard to imagine what that would feel like right. because it's part of my upbringing, you know? Yeah, no, I can, I can understand that. I'm what, I, I mean, I'll use myself as an example where it's like, I'm, I'm 34 years old and you know, while I haven't, uh, de- I mean, I haven't been as entrenched in it as you have in regards to, you know, I mean, whatever, when I first started to watch, you know, horrific movies, it was definitely when, you know, between the ages of 10 and 12. And then, but I, st- I still think there is that there is that conceit of just like, what do you like? You're just now getting to this, like, and you're yeah. you know, especially if you're over the age of like thirty, and you're like, and you're just keying into this, like, <laughs> this is weird. You should have found out about it by now. Different world now, and it is, sometimes it's hard to relate to the people that are super obsessive about this stuff now. Uh, you know, and I I, talk, I find out from you know, I get, but I guess at the same time, like kids who are twenty now could feasibly have grown up and and and. This this stuff could have been as big a part of their life as as it was with me, you know, uh, simply because in in like the nineties, uh, if 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 you came of age in the nineties, you might have just missed all that stuff completely. And before you know Napster and file sharing came along, there wasn't a way to access this stuff. There wasn't an there wasn't a way to become familiar with the band Goblin. Uh, I knew them because I saw Dawn of the Dead a, a million trillion times you know from the from the time i was uh, you know a child um and it's just they've always been part of my conscious you know the, the consciousness you, you you watch the movie at the end of the credits you know music by uh you know the goblins it's like oh i gotta find out about them uh right and did your uh in the same fashion as your like you said your parents were uh very concerned when you started to uh, pick up the bass and get into all these these uh fringe styles of music that they didn't understand did your parents ever kind of you know send up a signal flare of like wow like Steve's really watching a lot of weird movies like should we be concerned about that well i think that were they were as uh they did a good job you know they were they showed their concern but at the same time they were supportive and they were you know they 
they tried to they they didn't try to make me feel uh weird about being into that stuff but uh you know they they were supportive they were supportive without being uh really encouraging you know i think i think that's probably the best way to put it right right i i just know it's like it, it's definitely those those few things that can set parents off from like oh right. like explicit music or you can't watch bad movies mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but back then there was there were no there, there wasn't you know this was you know this is kind of even before cable tv really um where they would just be there there would be uh you know in in pittsburgh like i said there was this sort of horror uh heritage uh there were there were always like all the the UHF television stations would would run horror movies at night or on the weekends uh so like you really you could you could still find that stuff even if you know it wasn't like your you know your parents would just not rent the movie for you or they they would you know block certain channels or you weren't allowed online to watch these movies or something they were just on TV right they had no choice yeah there was no gatekeeper yeah. right yeah, and I would, and like as soon as I was old enough and my parents would let me, I got a TV in my room, and then that was it. That TV was never turned off. You know, I'd get home from school, turn on the TV. Anything else I did that night was was sort of just supplemental to watching TV. <laughs> right, <laughs> my childhood. Did you? Uh, I guess did you care about like school? Did you, uh, you know, apply yourself as teachers would say, um, or was no. that something you were just coasting? No, I definitely coasted. Uh, I did all right, but I could have done a lot better. Sure. And did you have aspirations from a, a, a career perspective on like, oh, yeah, so I guess I'll go to college and then I guess I'll do this thing? Or was there uh, once you kind of got introduced to music, that was how you wanted to figure it out? No, it, it's interesting even now because like when I'm working on a project, I get really uh, – very single-minded about it. Uh, it. It can sometimes be hard to focus on anything else. And now, like looking back, I can see that, like, you know, even even in high school, like I didn't really even want to go to college. I just wanted to be in a band. I just wanted to find a band, and I knew that I could really apply myself. And I knew that if I could, if I could get myself into the into a good band, that I could that I could. Uh, I knew that I had what it would take to to be successful at it, um, and it, it took a lot of. Uh, it, it was like that that the transition from high school to college was really difficult for me because I really all only wanted to be playing music. It's all I wanted to do. Uh, you know, my my parents were really were were very supportive of that, but they also, you know, I wanted to go to school for music. Uh, but they were also very practical and, you know, encouraged me to be very practical about it and said, well, why don't you study music education? That way, you know, you graduate, you have the music, you have the, you know, you have the actual music education, but you have a degree that is applicable, you know. Right. Something we, we just want you to be safe, Steve. We want you to have something useful. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I, and you know, that makes total sense to me. Uh, and, and it was, and, and that's, it was the smart move, but the the only problem there was that ha- then having an education degree sort of put me on the wrong track for a while. Uh, you know, I graduated from college and it seemed like, well, you know, now I need to do something with, with this degree. Uh, so I, I was a substitute teacher for a year and I 
and it was not a good fit. Um, and, and I know this and I knew all, all my, my advisor, my professors at college knew this too, that there's the, 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 the best teachers are typically people who really have to work for something. You know, like I was saying before, I, I just kind of understood music. Uh, it just makes sense to me. But I had classmates at college who had to work so hard uh, to, to understand some of these, you know, what, what felt like me, what felt like to me just sort of basic concepts. And those are the students who now are, you know, very successful educators and, you know, tenured college professors because they know what worked for them and they can explain it to their students. Whereas I just understood the stuff. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. And so I couldn't explain that. I couldn't get that point across. We're like, no, just, just play this. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, uh, oh, it's that's simple the wrong enough. Note. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Like, why don't you get no, this? Come on. Play, just play the right note. Uh, <laughs> For sure. Um, and so then, uh, so education wasn't the right route, but, it, but that kind of sidetracked me for a little while. I, I would say that the majority of my twenties were just sort of spent, uh, trying to figure out, you know, what to do with, with my life now that I've, that I've gotten this degree that I know that I never want to use. Right. Yeah. You were just, you were just kind of floating unanchored anywhere. The, uh, and so, so when did zombie kind of come into your, to your life? Uh, was that like post-college like you were mentioning? Yeah, that was a few years. That was, that was probably like three or four years after college. Uh, I started playing and, uh, we, you know, it, it, it just was the type thing where we sometimes things just make sense and we got together and we started playing and it made sense uh so we just kind of never questioned it <laughs> until sure. much later until you know much later when we found ourselves like neither of us had jobs and we were living together uh in in chicago in a house with uh it was i was living with uh Tony and at the time his his girlfriend and it was the it was a really like brutal scenario like like we it was sort of like this wake up call where I'm like whoa wait a minute uh I I've like really sort of painted myself into a corner here uh you know I at, at that point it's like oh okay so now I've I've basically just been a touring musician for a couple of years now, but the kind of music that we were playing wasn't necessarily sustainable uh back then. So it, there would be, you know, we could, we could keep touring. We could just like, we would be out on the road and we'd get a call for another offer for the next tour and be like, yeah, let's do it. You know, people, we were like the band for a while there that all the, all the, you know, a lot of the sort of bigger metal bands wanted to take us out because we were so different, um, somehow compatible but we were not going to upstage anybody. We were just so radically different that, you know, kind of worry about having an opening band that's going to, you know, that's going to blow everybody away. And then you're going to come out and be like, uh, yeah, so here's what we do. Right. Um, but we were so different that there was no risk of that. So we would we would get asked out on so many different tours. And it was so fun to meet different people, you know, different genres of music and play for different audiences. But we were making like, 100 150 200 bucks a night uh and and not really selling much merch because let's face it people people bring their money to buy you know the cd and the t-shirt of of the headlining band uh 
so it was like we were doing it, but we were not really doing it. Uh, it, it at that point, it, it felt like we were really making it. But at the same time, like I could, I could very easily see how everyone else in my life and my family was probably looking at this as just like this ego thing where we were really only doing it for ourselves because we weren't really benefiting from it aside from getting our name out there, uh, meeting people, making connections. Uh, right. Well, you actually, you, you uh, said something in a previous interview that, that really struck me in regards to just the, <laughs> the idea of being unemployed and traveling. Like that's yeah. just, like you said, that's essentially what you were doing. And I, I, I do think that that is a notion that most people, um, I guess don't have the wherewithal to really, I mean, I, I imagine probably due to the fact that, you know, you were obviously in your mid twenties. So you had maybe a little mm -hmm. bit more perspective than a 17 year old kid that starts to hit the road. But, um, yeah, that's a notion that doesn't enter people's heads when they're touring because they think as long as they're on the road, they're successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, and you know, some people are, and, and we definitely toured, we definitely opened with bands. And that was another thing that was difficult for us, uh, was we would be touring opening for bands who actually were doing quite well uh and making quite a bit of money and and maybe at home had fewer expenses too um because they had been doing it longer and so they kind of had their lives set up where you know you you get home from tour and you're only home for maybe two three weeks and so you just live in a house with like five other guys and you just hang out when you're at home uh but we didn't make enough money. So when we get home, we'd have to work. We'd have to try to find jobs. We couldn't cover our rent uh, over the, you know, the, the course of maybe like the first three or four years of zombie being together. I probably racked up close to $20,000 in credit card debt, just paying, trying to pay bills, paying, paying credit card bills with other credit cards. <laughs> right. Um, you know, all the gear that we had, uh, you know, I couldn't, I had to charge groceries. Uh, I, I had, I had, zero, I had actually no money at all. Um, and so that's why, you know, there, there came a point where after, uh, I guess around 2006 or so, it, it just really became too much and I had too much debt and I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I just, I, I went home and I, I got myself a couple jobs and I worked all the time for years. Uh, until I could, until I could pay off my credit card debt. <laughs> Do you remember kind of that that moment? Because everybody that's toured definitely has that moment in their head when, uh, you know, whatever. Like my moment is definitely like sitting in a bathroom in Montreal and being like, "Oh my god, I'm playing in front of like 30 people. What am I doing with my life?" Uh -huh. Like, do you have like a particular moment that kind of stuck out in your head where it was just like, like you said, "I gotta, I gotta wash this up and go home." It, it was a it was a really gradual realization. It wasn't it wasn't like some light bulb eureka moment. It just it would I would find it uh, I would I would find myself you know on stage or you know just in the corner of the room as it were most of the time you know set up performing and uh, and I'd be playing and and all of a sudden it's you know you you look up and you just you realize like you know, holy shit, where am I? What am I, what am I doing? I'm in, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm, I'm thousands of miles from home. I'm thousands of dollars in debt. There are 12 people watching me do this. Um, you know, is this worth, is my, is, is, is my art this important? Um, 
you know, I, I always like to use the quote from uh, from Scanners. Uh, you know, Benjamin Pierce, the artist, says, uh, "You know, my art keeps me sane." He was he was a famed scanner who had who had sort of been able to control his his abilities, uh, and I like to think that you know my art sort of kept me sane, but I think it actually drove me insane. Sure. Well, I'm sure it like not the actual art creation itself, but then the process in order to promote said art. That's usually what, like you said, grinds people down to the point of where it's like, this isn't sustainable anymore. Well, and it, it's not sustainable. And then you just start it. It's it, it just started to feel icky. You know, I felt like, um, like, why am I why is this so important to me that I get up in, in front of these people and and play my synthesizers for them you know it, <laughs> right. just i couldn't stop analyzing things uh and i guess that's probably the that's that's the difference between you know being in a being in a band and being on tour as an 18 or 20 year old versus being in a band and being on tour as a 28 or 30 year old you know yeah. You just can't you can't look at it the same way as much as you try you just can only fool yourself for so long and at the time there was just no market uh for what we were doing in a in a live music you were, you you were unfortunately a few years ahead of your time <laughs> we were we were great as the opening we were a great opening band uh yep. but but like every night playing you know like when we we do uh you know like we 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 uh we did a tour with Dillinger Escape Plan which you you witnessed uh, yes. and there was you know they would be they would be clearing five times what we would make in ju- just just with merch sales All right and granted there were more of them and they had massive expenses but these guys were doing it um and to be so close uh, yet so far was was really the most difficult part. You know, we, it 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 was it looked like it was within reach to us, but the fact was we would ne- we were never going to achieve that level of stability as a touring band. It, it just couldn't it couldn't happen. Yeah, um, no, no. But I, that's we a- were sort of we were sort of led to believe that that it could uh, simply because simply just by association we would tour with these bands that were successful. Uh, so it just really made us feel like we were successful. Yeah. Well, yeah, by that's interesting. So like, yeah, by proxy, you felt like you, you could be in the same universe because they're your peers. But then once you sat down and saw the realities of it, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, until, well, until like, you know, you're on, you're asking, you ask the band that you're opening for like, Oh, so what are you guys doing after the show? And they're like, Oh, we're going to go get some hotel rooms and shower up. And it's like, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, I don't know. I guess we're going to go out to the merch table and see if anybody offers us a place to crash. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, there were definitely, there were definitely shows where, you know, we'd, we'd be in cities where we've never been and, you know, we just, you know, have to bite the bullet and get on the mic after our set and say, Hey, so anybody have some, some room on their floor? Totally. Come see us at the merch. You want to, want to watch horror movies all night? We're clean. We're friendly. We're nice. You know, we're, Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just at that point, you're just uh shilling for yourself. You're just like, Oh, this will, this will be real easy. Like we just need to use your showers. Hopefully you got some towels. Maybe you got a pillow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, obviously like fast forward a couple of years, like you said, you were, you know, uh, concentrating on working and obviously still, still creating music within the context of zombie, but just not touring regularly. Um, and then it, it, it seems 
extremely logical that you would obviously move on to, you know, scoring and composing and that sort of stuff. Um, was that uh, was that basically uh, kind of sprung out of obviously the work that you were doing with Zombie, or was that always kind of a desire that you held in your head? You just didn't know how to, I guess, execute it. Uh, no, it's it's actually more diabolical than that. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I I was I was always I always really loved film scores. Uh, they I I found them very powerful, and it, and it was I was really into music, and I and I liked the idea that music could really have such an emotional impact on on people, um, you know, even just as a supplementary thing to the visuals. Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, people were, you know, some of my friends are really in, you know, into like, you know, Led Zeppelin or whatever. I was really into John Carpenter, you know, he, the, you know, that, that was, that was who I loved. I, I, I had the, the, you know, the Miami vice soundtrack, Jan Hammer was, you know, I was, I was really into that type of stuff. Um, and the, and and typically the composers I liked were you know I I started making the connection where like okay the, the Jan Hammer uh, I really like Danny Elfman you know there are these guys that that are doing these interesting uh, you know soundtracks and what do they all have in common they were all in bands uh, you know and I started putting two and two together you know Jan Hammer from Mahavishnu Orchestra uh, Danny Elfman Oingo Boingo you know that's you know uh, and then, you know, and then later Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, you know, these, these guys all got into doing films, you know, by using their leverage as, you know, well-known musicians. And I knew that I didn't have uh, the attention span to, to sit through music composition classes. I just didn't have it in me. So I thought, well, the, how I, I want to do it by, by being in a band. And then taking that route, you know, t- taking the Danny Elfman route, uh, going the Mark Mothersbaugh route, and 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 it only took forty years to make that happen. Right, right. Well, that's. I mean, honestly, that's a very practical, like kid, kid-like. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it that is very kid-like logic. Like I see, yeah, what, yeah. And it's beautiful because it's like that that way. It's like, oh, this is how I can execute this in my you know whatever twelve to fourteen year old brain. It's like this is how I can do this. Um. So do you, uh, is it one of those things like obviously, you know, there with, with you scoring the guest and a lot of attention was, was paid to you based off that fact. Um, are you still, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, like, do you feel legit in this world? <laughs> like, do you feel that you obviously have, um, have done enough to feel like, you know, cause obviously a lot of people that create art always feel like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just fooled everybody. Like the moat, you know, someone's going to tap me in the shoulder and be like, dude, you're not welcome here at any point. Um, do you still feel like you're in that? Or do you feel like, well, I've, I've done enough stuff where I can be relatively proud of what I've, what I've done. I don't know that I, 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 sometimes I wonder whether the, uh, you know, whether the years of touring and, and drug abuse and drinking and just not, I, sometimes I wonder if I've somehow permanently flipped the switch in my mind where I can actually just never, ever not be super critical of every decision I make in my life. Um, <laughs> right. I know, I, I, I see the, the, the incredibly nice things that people are saying about the scores that I'm, that I've done, the music I've made, you know, and it, and it's, I mean, it, it, that's, but I just can't, I can't, I just can't bring myself to believe it because if I, if I believed it, then it's like, then I've really made no, 
progress at all. Uh, I, I have to be critical of myself and I have to question. Otherwise, then you're just going along with it. And, 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 and f- to me, I feel like, you know, there, there, was a, there was definitely a moment with, with Zombie where like I never questioned what I was doing because it felt right. Uh, but then when when things kind of fell apart and Tony and I had been just touring, you know, just the two of us in a van driving back and forth across the country, you know, three or four times a year. And we just like had nothing to say to each other anymore. Uh, <laughs> we had just like run out of things to talk about. And there would just be like these just hours and hours of silence, you know, after a night of you know, performing and drinking and smoking and it, and it, and, and then to get to wake up the next morning and have to drive, you know, 300 miles. Uh, I don't want to go back to that. Like there was an awakening there and I don't want to go back to the way I was before. You know, I, I don't want to just blindly follow my intuition. I need to be critical of myself and I need to question the decisions I make in life. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that I'm legit. I think that I have a lot of work to do and I want to do that work. And the, the fact is, I don't know that I'll ever consider myself legit in any way. Uh, so it's, it's kind of beside the point. Uh, if, if people, if, 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 uh, you know, if I, you know, somehow get, you know, tagged to score some massive sci-fi blockbuster, that might be one thing, but that's just, but, but, but that's just, you know, that's just money. That, that isn't, that isn't what makes you legit in my mind. Uh, I feel like I'm doing what, what I wanted to be doing. And I don't know, I guess in that sense, that's legit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm true. I'm, I, I feel like I'm being true to myself. Um, and so legitimacy doesn't, it isn't the concern. Really. Right, right. Yeah, you're not, you're not, that's not the target because that's a moving target. You're just, you're simply, exactly. yeah, you're simply trying to do the work that you know that you've prepared yourself for, you know? Sure, sure. Well, and, and there, there, there is a bit, uh, there is a resurgence now in, uh, you know, the interest in these old film scores and synthesizers in general, you know? Uh, but, you know, you know, that I've already been doing this for, for 15 years. Um, and, and so, but, but this might change. The interest might just move on and people are going to be back into banjos next year. Who knows? Uh, so I can't look at, I, I, I can't look at things like that because just as quickly as this stuff came back into vogue, it could go right back out. And then I'm going to still have to be doing what I'm doing anyway. Right, right. And so I, I've got two last things to hit you on and then I'll let you go. But the, uh, the, Obviously, like you said, with the with the resurgence and more people paying attention, um, I mean, it, it is bizarre even to a person like me who obviously isn't like creating in that world. But it's just so strange to see um, and and to see for me the parallels of like you know whatever the punk hardcore DIY community and all the people whether you know people that are releasing soundtracks from like Spencer to Death Waltz and Kevin at Waxwork like all these people come from the same background as like what you and I did where it's like you mm-hmm. know playing punk shows at crappy venues or whatever um anyway it's just it, it's bizarre so ha- but have you seen um like i'm sure you felt i guess more attention paid to you or is it one of those things you like you said you're just trying to kind of keep your head down and and do the work regardless of of what's happening in the larger ecosystem well it what people are saying about 
I do is not going to influence what I'm doing because I was already doing it. Uh, you know, like there's, if anything, it, it makes me feel a little weird now that the, there, there's so much, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, and then, and then there's, you know, the self doubt takes hold. And I think maybe I'm just actually being lazy. Uh, and maybe I chose this type of music to pursue because no one else was doing it. Um, and so it was kind of like, having my own little uh my own little race only against myself uh competing only against myself uh but there's legitimate competition you know there are there are guys who have also been into this stuff forever who are now kind of you know getting the attention that they deserve as well um and 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 I wonder if we're just all going to be uh if we're just all going to be yesterday's news next year or if somehow we're we're gonna become somehow legitimate and 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 what and how will that make me feel if uh if you know this thing that I've considered sort of my own like personal conquest becomes a a thing that you know the world is now interested in uh you know i i i you know looking at the reviews from all the film festivals recently like people are really stoked when a when a movie has a, a synth score um what what happens though if synth scores become the new norm? Mm -hmm. uh, how will how will that make me feel? Will I feel like will I just have to find something new to do in order to feel like an individual, or will I be able to continue being the the person I've already been and and be comfortable with that? It's a good reflection, obviously, to to have when you are when everybody is kind of in the middle of a moment and mm -hmm. trying to like examine that moment and be like, yeah. well. Is this, yeah, I, is this a way I, that's I'm crashing, cresting, whatever? Exactly. I'm afraid to get too caught up in it because I don't want to crash with this wave yeah. uh, because this, these were, I've already been in these waters and I know these waters and I, I don't want to find new waters at this point. Uh, <laughs> totally. You're like, I'm, I'm good with what I got here. This is fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to hit on, and this is a very sort of logistical question and more so of my, cur my own curiosity just because um, coming from like I've worked at record labels for years and like I've been involved in the music industry in some capacity for a long time. Um, but the score composition world is like so foreign to me in the sense of like the logistics of setting it up. So is it one of those things where it's like, um, you know, do you yourself, uh, I mean, obviously people know your work now to where I'm sure, you know, people are kind of approaching you and you can be a little more selective in your work, but, uh, how, how does it work where it's like, once you kind of get approached and a person like pitches you a job, um, is it one of those things where it's like they just pay you some flat sum of money um, and then you go off for months and then you return with the score and like, you know, you don't have to get like super granular, but I was just, you know, I'm just very, very curious. I don't know that I've done enough of it at this point for, for there to be, a, you know, a typical way for it to work. Um, right. You know, the, with, with Adam Wingard, with, uh, with, with the guest, uh, I've known Adam for a long time. I think I met Adam in 2004 or, two, or maybe even 2003 uh, when uh, Tony and I scored his his first feature length movie as Zombie, um, and and we were and and we did that because he approached us because he had read uh, a review of our self released CDR. This is before Relapse. He he read a review of our of our CDR in Rue Morgue magazine. And, uh, the, you know, and just thought that, that this was something that, that he thought would fit with his movie. And, uh, so he hired us to do his movie. I, we had zero experience at all, 
but it was another one of those things where we just kind of knew what to do from from being you know so immersed in that culture and adam and i had kept in touch and he had he was a re- he was a, a fan of uh, of a couple of the albums i've put out on my own recently and so for the guest he kind of wanted music that was you know f- for references he he wanted music that sounded like the the couple albums uh, i've put out recently so for me it was it was more like i just got to make music that i would have wanted to make anyway uh which has kind of been the you know the it's kind of been the same with the few scores i've worked on so far where i really haven't people people saying okay we're going to pay you to do this and then uh supply the music and then they you know they they give me uh suggestions and i fine tune things until it it fits the scene uh you know and adam adam is a very uh he has he's very musical. Uh, he's really into music and and has a really sort of natural understanding of it and so he has a lot of input uh and a lot of you know he had a lot of ideas uh to to sort of like segues and 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 building cues. You know, I I like when directors have input. I I feel weird when I'm working on something and the and the director says, "Yeah, here's here's the money, make me music." And you make the music and turn it in and they're like, "Cool." Thank you. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, because that's when, you know, when a director comes back and says, I need you to change this. This doesn't fit. This isn't working. You need to sync this up, time this up a little better. Then I know like, okay, then it's real. Then it makes sense. Then it's like, okay, uh, this guy knows what he's talking about. And so I trust his opinion. And, you know, it's, it's like, and I've been, I've, you know, been in enough bands where it's, it's a, it's a give and take, you know, you can't just, you can't just get up and thrust your opinion on people and, and expect them to just accept it. You know, being in a band, you come up with a riff and someone says, well, why don't we play that a little bit differently? And it's like, okay, you, you don't, you know, so working with the director, that's kind of what I want, who will kind of give me some suggestions and, and let me know that what I'm doing is working. And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think I might've gotten off topic. No, 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 I, 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 no, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, in regards to like the, the collaborative process, like you wanted to, like you said, kind of mimic the idea of a band as opposed to like you just simply supplying like a quote unquote product, you know? Um, so yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. And that's, and that's probably just me, you know, second guessing myself, you know, I'll, I'll come up with something that I think is really good. And then, but I, I would, it would make me feel more comfortable for for then uh, the the directors or producers to say, okay, this is good, but we need you to change this. Uh, because then, if I make that change, then I know we're good. Uh, but if some you know people just accept what I what I write, then it's uh, sometimes a little more difficult to be sure that I've done the right thing. Right, right. You're like, just give me some slice of feedback. I just need something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. But so far that hasn't been a problem. I've I've been lucky enough to work with uh, you know, typically directors who were either in bands or are just very into the music scene. Otherwise they would never have known about me in the first place. Uh so it's it's been fun in that sense. You know, it, it kind of is 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 a lot like being in a band, uh, you know, having that sort of creative back and forth. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's super exciting. Cause yeah, like, like you said, you, it's, it's comfortable enough to where you are, uh, you're, you're creating, you're in a good creative space, but then obviously it, it challenges you to do something, um, 
you know, that's slightly different each time. Yeah. You got to check yourself, you know, or have someone else check you every once in a while. Uh, Otherwise, you know, you know, God knows what I'd end up doing. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you hanging out with me and uh, yeah, chopping it up. And uh, this, Yeah, this was really great. Thank you. So there you go. There was Steve. Consume his stuff. Check out Zombie. Watch the guest. He also has an upcoming horror movie soundtrack called Cub that Relapse is putting out. I immediately pre-ordered it. I, I didn't even listen to a song, just immediately pre-ordered it. But thank you very much, Steve, for taking time out of your, your busy dad-slash-composition schedule. I, I always want to make sure that you, the listener, are at the center focal point. This is a selfish endeavor. I love doing this show. I love getting to speak to these people. But it is a lot of work. And not only for myself, but my producer, Tom Richfield. It's a lot of work for him to put this together. But we realize the importance of it. And honestly, it's all for you the listener. I know that sounds totally trite and cliche. It's it's really awesome and compelling and engaging for us to hear from you. So on that note, email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com and visit the website 100wordspodcast.com. Without further ado, I will bid you adieu. Until next week, please be safe, everybody. Everybody.